Mami, Mami. No, wait. Mojave, 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 Mojave. Ah, I'll get it eventually. Start the music. Yahoo, Katie, that you and I'm definitely a geek. Hey, I bet you've been wondering where I've been. Well, I've been to the dentist, you know, and, and actually my dentist apparently is a huge Apple fan. He's been using Apple products since the original Macintosh, and I was really shocked about this. Um, but I walk in, and it's the first time I've ever been there, and they were using an iPad Pro 12.9 inch at the front desk, had the smart keyboard and everything, and I was shocked because you really don't see this very often in Japan. Maybe point of sale terminals sometimes at like cafes or something like that, but on the whole, Windows computers dominate the business industry here. So I figured, why not ask him about it? And he told me, yeah, oh yeah, I love Macs. I love Apple products. So pretty cool. Hey, speaking of Apple products, there were a lot of really cool, well, not products, I guess it was all software, but a lot of really cool announcements this week. So that's going to be what today's show is about. Um, oh, yeah. So about me, uh, I had a few health issues lately and um, also just I needed some, to de-stress and just kind of step back and, and reevaluate what I want to do with the podcast, you know, take it easy for a little while. And I don't know if I'm going to go back to doing it every week, but I'm going to try to get at least one or two out a month. So um, mostly just when I feel like I have something I want to talk about, um, or if there's some really cool news I can talk about, then I'll do that. So today I want to talk about some of my impressions of iOS 12, macOS Mojave, which I, I managed to predict somehow, and I'll also watchOS 5 and tvOS, which I'm apparently able to use now because I'm back on Apple TV. More on that in a little while. But first, let's start out the big, big release, iOS 12. And you know, by the way, these are all still in developer betas and you, you really shouldn't install them on your daily drivers. But, um, you know, I don't pay Apple. 120 hunyakers a, a year for nothing. And uh, there's so many news sites talking about it right now that I figured I would just give some generic impressions of what I think. And on the whole, the first thing I should tell you is that if you're on an older iPhone, particularly an iPhone 5S, an iPhone 6, a 6S, um, and especially an iPad Mini 2 or a Mini 3 um, or an iPad Air, iPad Air 2, you're definitely going to want to update to iOS 12 when it comes out um, because it's fast. I mean, this thing is, and this is, this is a developer beta one, which are normally, you know, they tend to be famous for having lots of problems like game smashing, you know, device breaking bugs, not permanently, but you know, things that basically take out full applications, prevent you from using them, um, massive bugs, massive stuff. But honestly, it's been compared to few beta as I can remember. Uh, it's been really stable and I'm actually enjoying it. And I have an Air 2 that I, I have for school as like a backup kind of thing. And uh, I installed it on there. I'm crazy. I know, but I installed it on there and it runs beautifully. Um, we'll talk about multitasking in a bit because it's driving me insane. But other than that, um, applications launch noticeably faster, particularly the camera, which is always a known culprit. And you tap the camera now and it just comes to life. I mean, literally, it just is there. Now, granted, this iPad Air 2 has zero to 20 photos on it and it doesn't have iCloud photo library turned on so maybe that is something to do with it but still compared to what it was even in this condition before I noticed a significant improvement in launching app times and especially with a keyboard I noticed the keyboard pops up right away as opposed to sometimes taking a few seconds to pop up before um, I also installed it on one of my iPhone 5s's and it, you know it's great I mean it's really noticeably faster so if this is where it is with a developer beta 1 
one. I can't wait to see where it turns out with the final release coming this fall. Now, that being said, the one issue I have on the iPad is that multitasking is driving me insane. So, okay, let's set the stage here a little bit. I've been using a 12.9 inch iPad Pro second generation since last year, since last June, and I love it. And I had the smart keyboard. Everything was great. Um, and then something happened. I went to Tokyo and I was browsing around my favorite store, Jampara, and I noticed an iPad Pro 10.5 inch. It's a Wi-Fi only model, and I usually buy cellular iPads, but at that price, it was like, geez, I don't know if I can resist this. It was about 150 Hunyakers off of the normal average selling price for used iPad Pro 10.5 inches. So right off the bat, it was like, well, wait, what's wrong with it? Well, there was a speck of dust under the screen. Now, in order to see this speck of dust, it required the guy to get his little cleaning wipe and he cleaned the screen really well. And then he got a little magnifying glass out and he was like, see, you can see right here, there's a little teeny tiny speck of dust. And I'm thinking, so, okay, so I can give you 150 Hunyakers less of my money, or I can not have a speck of dust. I think I'll take the speck of dust, uh, especially since it still has like half a year left of warranty, and otherwise it's in perfect condition. I mean, the thing works great. And I had been wanting to try out a 10.5 inch, presumably because there were going to be new iPads coming out. Well, that didn't happen. But regardless, it was an interesting experiment. And within literally two days, I found myself listing my iPad Pro 12.9 inch on Yahoo Auctions. And frankly, the difference between the two was massive because the iPad Pro 12.9 inch sells for around 90,000 yen and I got the iPad Pro 10.5 inch for 50,000 yen. So that's, you know, 40,000 in my pocket, sort of. We'll talk about where that went a little bit later. But regardless, it was definitely the right decision for me. I think the 10.5 inch is much more portable, especially in the classroom. It's great to be able to actually pick it up and walk around with it. I found myself not really doing that very often. Um, I would leave it sitting on my desk and that was kind of frustrating. I want to be able to grab, grab my Apple Pencil, walk around the classroom and be able to, you know, write things down, show things, or even bring it to a student and have them write something. So I'm really not regretting switching the 10.5. I think it's perfect. So the combination of selling those, and I, I didn't buy a new smart keyboard. I, I, I was kind of waiting to see if maybe they would announce new iPads, but I guess they're coming this fall. And, and I'm almost looking at this as kind of a stopgap measure. Like, I figure given some of the changes, including they've moved the time from the middle over to the left-hand side, and also the date is there too. I don't know how I feel about that. It looks, it doesn't look quite right, but it is a developer beta one. But they've moved it to the left, and then on the right now you have your Wi-Fi, you've got battery and all of that stuff. So clearly they're leaving the middle open. Well, as we all can imagine from the iPhone 10, uh, the middle would be the perfect place for a face ID sensor. Um, and so I'm thinking that, and not me, but everyone is thinking, I think at this point that yes, this fall, most likely October, I would imagine, uh, that we will be seeing new iPad Pros. Uh, and so I'm kind of almost looking at this as like a stopgap measure. Like I'll use this iPad Pro for a few months and then upgrade to the new model in the fall. But I'm really happy with it. I find that I don't miss the cellular at all. I have WiMAX, and nine times out of ten when I'm using an iPad Pro, it's on WiMAX or it's on home Wi-Fi, so I don't really feel like I need the cellular, um, and that's an extra 500 yen a month that I can save. I, I, you know, I already had it stripped down to the basic gigabyte plan from Line Mobile, but it was like, okay, well... Maybe I can, you know, cut this out entirely. And, and after, you know, trying it for a few days with no cellular, I'm like, yeah, I don't really miss it at all. So that'd be great next time because I can buy the cheaper iPad instead of going for the cellular model. 
you know, I can always tether with my iPhone as well if I really need data and I can't use my WiMAX or I forgot it at home. Plus, the 10.5 makes it much easier to slip in a bag or purse or whatever. And if I'm going to an event or something or I just want to, you know, hang out somewhere and not have to carry around that 12.9 inch, um, but I still want an iPad, it really makes a huge difference. That was one of the other reasons I, I went with the 10.5 was because being able to both use it on the desk and it'd be bigger than a normal iPad, but still in the same way, being able to basically pocket it or not really pocket it but put it into a small bag and take it with me when i'm traveling or i'm on the go it really gives you kind of the best of both worlds and as much as i love the size of that 12.9 inch it's just a little bit too big so imagine the 10.5 but bezel to bezel even if it was just a slightly bit bigger i think somewhere in the middle between 12 the 10.5 and the 12.9 with the full bezels like absolutely edge to edge screen would be like the perfect size for an ipad and i'm looking forward to that and that would also allow apple to do basically an 11 inch and a 13 inch which hey that sounds like a macbook air anyway but um, i'm really happy with it and i don't regret going with a non-cellular model so in talking about other things i've noticed with the developer beta i really love the new notifications that you get um, and it, it basically it takes all the notifications and it groups them by app uh, and this is really helpful because you can have all your mail in and i use spark for example um, and spark it has all of the the mail coming in from Spark in one and you just tap it. And I keep finding myself that I, I, I long press on it and it pulls up that specific mail as a preview. So you have to, I have to back out of it and then tap it again. And it, it basically expands down into and showing and shows all the mail there. Um, and it's great because I use, I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the podcast. I use Twitter notifications as my timeline. So let me explain about this. So I don't really read Twitter very much. And um, sorry to some of you out there, but there's, you know, maybe a handful of people that I care about. And so I tend to put people on notifications where, and I know this sounds crazy, but just bear with me, I will have every notification come in whenever someone tweets. And like, so really close friends, people I care about, people I want to read, uh, every single time they tweet, it comes in as a notification on my iPad Pro. And that's the key. It does not come in on my iPhone and it doesn't come in on my Apple Watch. It only comes in on my iPad Pro. And now I use TweetBot and I love TweetBot. And the only reason I have Twitter installed on my iPad Pro is just so I can have notifications. It's basically the only thing I do. And if you long press on it, I can immediately like it or ine it in Japanese, or I can, you know, retweet it from that directly from the lock screen. And it's great because I wake up and I open my iPad and I don't have to unlock the thing. It's just, they're all right there. And now it's great because I can scroll through and see quickly, okay, I've got these notifications here I should probably take care of first. And then let me tap on Twitter and I can scroll through that. But Because before, it would all be this big mess of like, you'd have Twitter, 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 and then maybe you'd have a message. And then maybe, oh, my mom called. Oh, my mom called twice. I need to get back to her on that. And then, you know, this, that, and the other. And now because it's grouped by app, it makes it so much easier to just be like, okay, now is my Twitter time. I'm going to tap on this and it expands out. I see all the Twitter stuff and I can just go from there. I really love it. Um, and I know it kind of sounds crazy to have that as your timeline, but I've only got 20 or 30 people that I put on notifications and, you know, it works for me and it just kind of, it makes it so that I can still be informed with the people that I really care about. But at the same time, I don't have to worry about like being stressed about, oh my God, I got to get into the timeline. I got to read, I got to read. It's kind of a great balance for me. One thing I'm really not enjoying, however, is the new multitasking interface. And I, I see where they're going with this. Um, they're trying to unify the platform, but uh, something's not quite right. So um, before, if you wanted to get to Control Center in an iOS 11, I thought they did a 
the perfect job of this. I thought it was brilliant. Um, you would go into multitasking, and you could do this either by swiping up, and if you swiped up a little bit, the dock would pull up. And then you swiped up, if you kept swiping up, it would bring you into multitasking. And then on the right side there were all your control center controls. Well, now you have to swipe down from the upper right in order to get to control center. Now, I understand why they're doing this. It's the same as on the iPhone 10. And presumably the new iPhones that are coming out in the fall will all be Face ID enabled. So having everything standardized around this, plus if there's iPads that are coming out that have Face ID, it really is great to have everything be the same across devices. However, I could see on a 12.9 inch or, or a, even a full-size 13-inch, if there's a bigger iPad that comes out, I could see that really being a problem for some people having to reach all the way up and swipe down. What was great about having it in, in multitasking was that there were multiple ways to trigger Control Center. You could double tap on the home button, and of course that's going away, presumably with Face ID, but still, you could do a four-finger gesture up, swipe up with four fingers, and that would bring you to multitasking, and then you have Control Center. You could swipe up from the bottom, that would also bring you to Control Center. But now, the only way to activate Control Center, other than using accessibility shortcuts is to swipe down from the upper right. And I found myself really frustrated by this. I, I think it's just not an elegant solution. Not to mention the fact that I have closed so many apps this week trying to slide up the dock. And inevitably, what I do is swipe back to the home screen because they've changed that gesture as well. They brought it in line with the iPhone 10. So you swipe up and it brings you right to the home screen, which is great on an iPhone 10. But when you're trying to multitask, you have to do this whole like swipe up a little bit, and if you hold, if you swipe up and hold, it brings up the dock, and then you can do multitasking. And it, but if you keep swiping up and you hold, then it'll bring you into full multitasking. It's 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 frustrating, and it doesn't feel as intuitive as the iOS 11 way of doing things. And I, I'm just I'm really frustrated with it. Honestly, it's it's my one big complaint about this developer beta. And yes, they're going to take some of our feedback, and it may be completely different by the time it reaches your iPhones and iPads. But regardless. I think it just needs a little bit more uh, tweaking, uh, to quote Tom Hanks. Other than that, you know, I haven't noticed a lot of crashes. I've noticed it's very stable. Now, granted, I'm on the latest hardware, but it's still, it's really, really great for a developer beta one, and that's a rarity. Um, I don't recommend installing it, but it is, it is nice to have. Oh, and the other thing that's really great about it is the new screen time controls, which allow you to see how much screen time you're using in specific apps and set limits. I think it's really fantastic. Um, there's a great podcast that I listen to called Ladies Who Lunch, which is ending next Tuesday. I'm so sad. But a couple weeks ago, they did a, an episode all about tech addiction. And I think that they were just a, a week too early because Apple announced everything. But um, it it's a really great episode, and it talked about a lot of these issues of like how we are becoming more and more dependent on these. We're having trouble getting away from them, even for a little bit of time, and our time is just getting sucked into these devices. And they're amazing devices, but having more controls or even just more information to be able to understand where the time is going and see in real time in graphs and charts and spreadsheets. Hi, Allison. Uh, exactly how your time is being managed, I think, is, is going to be really beneficial to a lot of people. And plus, since it has parental controls built in, it's going to be great for parents as well, being able to actually limit device usage. Uh, but for me personally, the biggest thing I found myself using recently is the new do not disturb controls. In, in Japanese, it's oyasumi mode or good night mode, which is a little different, right? Because do not disturb in English and good night mode are a little bit different. Um, but that's what they call it. So regardless, um, being able to actually 
enable that in Control Center, you, you long press on the Do Not Disturb Moon icon. And now it brings up additional options. And some of those options include Do Not Disturb mode for one hour until tomorrow morning or until I leave this current location. And I love that because it allows me to specifically set things at work, for example. I always turn on Do Not Disturb when I'm using the iPad in front of students because I, I you know, there's certain personal things about me that may come through in, in a notification, and I really would prefer that students didn't see that. So I take precautions, and one of which is always turning on Do Not Disturb mode on my iPad. But the problem is that I get home sometimes and I forget to turn it off. And I do this sometimes on my iPhone 10 as well because I will use it for timers or basic things, maybe showing a picture when I want to have like something up on my iPad at the same time. So I'll use my iPhone as a second device, but I really am always careful to make sure that I don't have notifications on there. And then I always forget to turn it off. And then someone calls or someone messages and it's like, oh, I'm sorry, I had do not disturb mode on. Yeah. I, I, Five in the afternoon? Well, you know, so what can you do? But now being able to turn it on just for an hour or just until I leave a specific location is a lifesaver. It's so cool. And I'm, it's a little buggy still. Granted, um, there's still a few things that I've noticed. Sometimes it doesn't always work right. But, of course, this is a developer beta one. So, you know, it'll all get fixed, I'm sure. I love the new voice memos icon. I think it's really cool. Black is really nice. And hopefully we'll get an actual dark mode at some point. I'm looking forward to trying out group FaceTime. I'd love to get myself and my parents, maybe my brother in on, on the whole thing. Even though he's on Android, but his partner has an iPhone 10, So we can all get on there somehow. Um, and, of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about Mimoji, which... I haven't really used Animoji, but I find myself really loving Mimoji, and mainly because it's me. It's me, you know? Um, I posted a few videos I took with of Mimoji on Twitter, at KayleeDayo, so check that out if you want to see them. By the way, Mimoji is messing with my brain, right? Because, so, emoji, everyone calls it emoji, right? But really, in Japanese, it's emoji. It's e, as in picture, and moji, as in character. It's a picture character, literally. So... My brain looks at Mimoji, and I see me, M-E, and that actually is how you say me in Japanese, right? So my brain wants to read it as Memoji, which would be like when you take a like a legal pad and put it up in front of your face. Someone draws on it, right? You know, But uh, it's Mimoji. So my brain is, gets really confused because I have like, it's battling with itself, like English and Japanese together. Anyway, I digress. But Mimoji is really cool. It lets you create your own personalized and emoji characters, and you can tailor it to your own self, and it can be who you are and representative of who you are. And, and I think it's been a lot of fun to play around with it, and I really can see myself using this a lot more because, you know, animals are fun, don't get me wrong, but uh, having something that's actually representative of me, I think, is, is a lot cooler. Now, what I really want to see is Apple open this up to developers and give have some sort of API where developers can create kind of like line stamps or, you know, something like stickers or things like that, where like you can create artwork, you can create an emoji. And even if they have sell them for, you know, two hunyakers or whatever, or, or they're free or whatever, it'd be really great if people could create new and interesting emoji and mimoji. And, you know, I would love it if you could get like customizable hats or things like that. I feel like surely this is coming, right? It's just going to take a little bit longer to get here. But I think that would be a, an amazing way to open it up for developers. You know, fortunately, a lot of the stuff that involves um, iMessage just doesn't really apply here since, you know, Line is the most dominant thing here. No one really uses iMessage, at least in my circle. So everyone's on Facebook Messenger or they're online. So 
Uh, I don't know. It's kind of a shame because I kept seeing, oh, that'd be really cool. Oh, but no one uses it here in Japan. So haven't really tried out any of the AR stuff, the augmented reality. Um, the Measure app seems like it could be really useful, um, especially since it's from Apple and you can count on it to be reliable or as reliable as they can make it. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing what a lot of the devs do with AR Kit 2. Um, photos is the same way. I think photos will be a, a useful thing if you go to an event with someone. But again, that's not really applicable right now because you'll be able to share things back and forth again it's through iMessage but it'll be this thing where you take a bunch of photos with someone in location and you send them some and then there'll be a share back button like maybe you want to share these photos back so it'll be a great way to share photos from a, a shared event like if you go to the same event being able to you know collect all those photos in one place I think it's a really great way of doing it but it doesn't really apply until you're both running iOS 12. And, and since you're not using iMessage, it's kind of like, I don't know how much that will be useful for me. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about workflow. I mean, the what is it? Shortcuts. Yes, it's shortcuts, um, which basically allows you to create custom workflows. There was an app called Workflow. Many of you probably already know this, but uh, they got bought by Apple and they've been working on some super secret project for a couple years. And this seems like what it is. And basically what it allows you to do is uh, create or customize shortcuts and then you can run those shortcuts with multiple steps at once. So you can basically set up a like a trigger with like, hey, Siri, I'm going home now. And then have it, you know, play some music or turn on the heat in the house or turn on the lights or whatever. And you, you can customize every step along the way. I think that's about it. Um, there's some really cool privacy and security stuff preventing, you know, tracking and, and there's some password stuff that I'm looking forward to with one password. Um, but again, a lot of it right now, it's, it's relying on the developers to, uh, to make things updated for iOS 12 and that's going to take months. So um, we'll see how that goes. All told, I'm really happy with my experience and it's been very limited. Um, you know, I've only had it a couple days, but uh, it's surprisingly stable for a, a first beta and uh, I still don't recommend installing it, but uh, I'm happy with the results and uh, looking forward to uh, seeing the final product and seeing how it evolves over the next few months. All right, let's talk next about watchOS because I can sum up my thoughts in a couple words. It's kind of the same. Um, there's not really much that I've noticed in my day-to-day life that is exciting. Just, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the Siri watch face is the one that got a lot of updates. And frankly, I don't use it. It, it doesn't really provide me with you know very good information. Um, and so I've always just used like a standard watch face. So I haven't really noticed a lot. Uh, the one thing I will say is that in watchOS 5, you can now hold down from the top or the bottom uh, if you're in an app and you can access notifications and control center. So what you do is if you're in an app, you just kind of hold down on the bottom edge of the screen and just for half a second and you'll see control center pop up. And if you're on the top, you hold it down for half a second and you'll see notifications and then you just swipe down or swipe up and it's there. Um, and this is honestly the coolest feature I've seen so far other than background audio playback. We're going to get podcasts on the, on the Apple watch. That's really exciting. Although I'm waiting for Marco Arment, poor, poor guy. He's going to have to update overcast all summer, but he, I don't know. He said, it seems like it's not going to be as challenging as maybe one would think. Cause he's done a lot of the work already. If you're not using overcast, by the way, um, let me just put in a plug here for overcast. It's the best podcast app on iOS. And I, I will challenge anyone who disagrees, but anyway, um, a lot of the other ones have kind of gone corporate. I think, 
maybe I shouldn't say this, but I think Stitcher especially is really popular, but it's also very corporate. And I find some of their policies, they, they, they push premium a lot. And I get that's how they make money, but it also kind of was just like, okay, I, I want to support you because I want to support you, not because you're like bombarding me with advertisements to switch to Stitcher premium. So anyway, regardless, um, Overcast is fantastic and it's free and it's only 10 bucks a year if you want to support him and you get to, you know, get a couple little advanced features and stuff. So, all right, there's my little Overcast ad, but, uh, Anyway, besides that, um, there isn't really much new to watchOS. Um, at this point, a lot of it is sort of in the background. It's going to require developers to, to update. Um, there's a lot of new fitness stuff. There's a lot of workout stuff. Um, but just from a day-to-day perspective of, like, I don't use my Apple Watch too much, I haven't really noticed anything that's, like, you know, groundbreaking. So it's nothing like iOS 12, that's for sure. But it does seem a little bit faster. I don't know. So, all right. Let's talk about tvOS. And we're done with tvOS. No, okay. So, really, I'm on the dev beta there. Nothing to it. I mean, really, there's nothing to it. Nothing changed, literally. Um, No. I mean, again, it's a lot of back-end stuff. But, again, this is developer betas. I mean, they're intended for developers to, you know, make sure that their apps don't break when everyone updates in the fall. So, you know, a lot of times they won't make huge changes, um, especially with tvOS and watchOS. It just depends on the year, you know. But, um... So, okay, let me tell the story of what happened with tvOS. So, as some of you may remember, I was all in on Amazon, and I switched my parents to Amazon, um, to the Fire TV ecosystem, and I'm big on, you know, I I enjoy my Echo Dot and my Echo and everything, but I use one app for, like, 95% of my streaming, and that's Plex. I have a media server. It's a Plex server, and she just happened earlier this week to have her heat sink die. But that's another story altogether. Um, it was I found her in a boot loop. That was fun. Uh, Plex on Android, and you know Fire OS is Android based. Uh, Plex on Android is buggy, and no matter what I've done, it continues to be buggy. And it was buggy on my Fire HD 10, which I love and adore. I think it's a great product. It's just Plex is the one app I use, and it kept crashing. I would, you know, fire up an app. I would fire up the app. I would play a movie or I'd play a TV show, and it would just crash. It would refuse to load. I would try to sync media from my Plex server offline, and it would crash. Or it would just hang there and never sync. I would be at the end of an episode and decide, hey, I want to rewind that a bit and catch the last lines again or something, or maybe I missed a part, and it would crash. And I had the exact same experience on the Fire TV. I had the Fire TV too. And despite being the second generation as opposed to the third generation, which is out, the Fire TV 2 is actually more powerful than the Fire TV 3. It has a more advanced processor. It's better for gaming. It's better for a lot of stuff. So it's not a hardware issue. This is a software issue. And I love Plex. I'm a lifetime Plex past member. I got in, you know, a few years ago when it was like, a, I don't know, 100 Hunyakers or something. And I love Plex. But it's buggy on Android and it's buggy. And, and I've, and I know this because I have an iPad and I have an iPhone and it never crashes. I never have any problems with it. And so we was doing this both on my fire HD 10 and on my fire TV. It was very clear to me. Okay. It's doing on multiple devices. It's gotta be the software. And the, I mean, the most frustrating thing is you go to watch TV and you hit a button to scroll, you scroll through the list and it clicks like five times. It's like, okay, what's on my, my, you know, on deck queue and it clicks and then it just freezes. And 30 seconds later, the app crashes and you have to fire it back up again. Or, you know, you'll hit, you'll play something and then it'll just 
load, 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 and then the app crashes. Or you'll be at the, like, this, the one that drove me insane was being at the end of an episode. And, you know, a lot of times, this sounds weird, but Wheel of Fortune, for example, you know, Pat and Vanna come out at the end after the bonus round and they chat. And occasionally, it's funny, so I like to watch it again. It's like 30 seconds, right? But it's at the end of an episode, and I hit the skip back button, and the app crashes. And this drove me crazy because it would have already marked the episode as watched. So I would have to go and hit the button and then fast forward all the way through the episode and then get to that very end part to watch it again. And, you know, this happens with scripted drama as well. Maybe there's a cliffhanger or something. Oh, my God, what an amazing moment. Let me watch it again. And it's like I should be able to skip back, but without it crashing. And it just was driving me to the point of insanity. And so finally, I just said, I'm done. I can't have this. This is not worth my stress. So I went out and I bought an Apple TV 4K. Now, I was frustrated with Apple TV, to say the least, in in the day. Um, I was a starch defendant of that remote. I love the remote. Um, I, 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 I have gotten to the point where I like the remote. I tolerate the remote, maybe. I understand what they're going for with the remote. Like, I get that they are trying to make it easier because, like, you can... For example, if you're entering text, you can swipe all the way from one side to the other very quickly. I understand that, but it's also like, I don't know, having used Amazon's remote, which has physical buttons, I definitely kind of prefer Amazon's. I don't know. I I wish that we could have a combo remote. Like, give me that swiping touchpad, which I really do like sometimes, but also give me arrow keys. If I had that kind of a, you know, combination, it would be great. But, you know... This is Apple, and Apple doesn't quite like physical buttons. So, But I bought the Apple TV 4K, and I don't regret it. I have had zero Plex crashes with it. I mean, it has been rock-solid stable. It works. It works every time. It works flawlessly. Um, You know, occasionally there's... Okay, I will say this. Occasionally there's been like a movie dropout. I was watching Supergirl last night, and a couple times during it, it dropped out. But I suspect that's because Mercury's having overheating problems and not because of the Apple TV. I think that it's it's Mercury, again, her heat sink died. It's like, oh, so I, I switched the heat sink out. I think it's okay. I switched the thermal paste. I think it's fine, but it's, it's I don't know, it's been tricky. And so I'm, I'm adjusting. We'll, we'll see. Um, but regardless, I'm back in the Apple TV ecosystem and I love it. I think part of it has to do with the fact that in the 4K model is a lot faster than the 4. I had the Apple TV 4 originally, and I remember selling it partly because I was waiting on the 4K to come out, and then it finally did, and then I stuck with that Fire TV for a while. But I'm really happy with uh, my purchase. I think it's, it, was, it was well worth the money, and uh, it has saved me so much headache. I mean, just having being able to relax, not be so stressed in the, in the evening. I'm like, I'm trying to wind down. I'm, and I've been sleeping problems for a while, but it's like I'm trying to relax. You know, it's like nine o'clock. I just want to sit down, watch an episode of TV or something and just chill. And like, it's crashing and it's crashing and it's crashing. It's just like, okay, I don't need the stress. You know, it's like, so that's TV US. And finally, we get to the meat of this thing. Perhaps I guess is uh Mac OS Mojave. I guess, is it Mojave or Mojave? I think it's Mojave, right? Bling, bling. 
like, oh, I wonder who that could be. Hello? Why, is this uh, Kaylee from the past? Yes. Oh, this is Kaylee from the future calling. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that actually it's pronounced Mojave and not Mojave, but I'm actually just kind of too lazy to go back and edit every single instance of me saying Mojave. So uh, this is what you get. Well, now see, it's information like that that I really need to know. So thank you. Hey, by the way, can I ask you a question while I've got you here? So you're too lazy to go back and fix every instance of me saying Mojave as Mojave. Actually, it's the other way around. Whatever. The point being is that you won't fix that, but then you'll spend an hour and a half writing an original theme song and all new original compositions, replacing everything that you've come to know and love. I mean, come on. Did you learn nothing from what happened when they replaced the theme song to Monk? I I think you're breaking up. Hey, quit lying to yourself. Come on. There's no static on mobile phones. This is 2018. (sighs) But I digress. Hey, that's my line. Oh, just be quiet. let's get back to the podcast. Biggest cosmetic change is dark mode which is really really nice um it's it's still a little buggy and there's still some quirks but again it's a dev one beta so it should be expected i've been using it a lot in dark mode and i think that um for coding or for video production graphic design that kind of thing it's going to be great much easier on the eyes um the mac app store is beautiful i never thought i would say that but uh, it really is it's they've really done a great job on it it looks fantastic um it it's nice to have a list of your purchased items that's not in like teeny tiny itty bitty fonts uh you get nice big icons you get nice big lettering uh it looks great makes it much easier to navigate and understand what you have there were a few issues because uh safari uh is no longer supporting extensions that are not installed through the safari extensions interface and so one password i had to I had installed the beta version from the website, uh, so they disabled that by default. And then also when I updated, uh, I used uBlock Origin, and that was also disabled. So I had to go and find there's uBlock Origin in the Safari extensions gallery. Um, and you know, it's much safer, I think. You know, everything has to go through Apple, has to be certified uh, and signed, and so it it. I think it's good for security, but it was a little bit frustrating at the beginning. Safari seems snappier, which is nice. Um, and I think that uh, some of the new privacy stuff that I talked about earlier on iOS, they're doing some advanced tracking protection and stuff. Um, it, it really is going to be beneficial to all users. So The Finder, I guess we know now it's The Finder, uh, got a gallery view. I don't really use that. I use List View a lot, um, but I, I tried it out. It might be good for certain tasks, uh, photos, that kind of thing. If you're looking for specific kinds of content, um, I think having that gallery view, which is kind of like cover flow um, for The Finder, um, I think that it's going to be really nice. Um, I like it. I just, I don't think I'll use it day to day. I will say it is weird. Uh, we don't have news in Japan and I don't use stocks. So I, I, I don't really care about either one of those apps. Uh, well, I can't cause news I'd have to change. my if I change my region, it'll come up. Like if I change it to the United States, it would come up. But since it's set to Japan, I don't see the news app. Um, but voice memos and home, um, it's also, it's really cool because they've been ported to Mac OS from iOS using this method. They're, codenaming marzipan um and basically for you non-devs out there basically the the in, in simplified terms developers will be able to take parts of their code from the ios versions of their apps and they'll be able to use that to port it to the mac um, which would be great for getting new mac apps from ios uh, and new developers into the mac ecosystem uh, but they're basically dog fooding it to themselves they're going to try it out first apple is and then in 2019, they're going to release it to developers. But it's still kind of weird to have these apps that really look very much iOS-like uh, on the Mac. Like, you know, I don't know. It, it's kind of, there's a 
Iwakan. Like, it feels weird. I don't know. It's cool, but it feels weird. I'm really happy with all of the dev betas. Um, everything's surprisingly stable. I've had basically zero issues. I will say I did have an issue with my Apple Watch, um, and Apple has since pulled the dev beta one because some people were having issues. It was breaking a- Apple Watches. Okay, if you, some of you will completely ignore my advice. You'll go ahead and install it on your iPhones and your iPads and your Macs and whatever. But please do not install the dev beta on Apple Watch. And the reason is that there's no way to downgrade. If you screw up your Mac, if you screw up your iOS device, you can restore it. You can restore it to the currently signed, currently available public firmware version or the, or the current version of Mac OS 10.13. But if you screw up an Apple Watch, it's bricked. You got to mail it into Apple. And so I'm kind of crazy for installing that 1014 looks great um the dark mode is really i mean that's the biggest change for me at least besides the mac app store and i'm, I'm happy with it i'm uh, you know it's been stable on my new mac so let me explain this situation so i've been i've been running uh on a macbook air it's a 2013 model i've been using that for a few months and you know it's nice but um frustrating to say the least. I got it because it was super cheap. I mean, super, super cheap because the screen is, it has a few white spots here and there, but it's like, I can deal with it, you know? And I thought, okay, I'm fine with this, right? And then the problem, of course, is that I went and I looked at the current generation of MacBook Pros and I'm just like, oh. And one thing about this week with WWDC is that it always kind of inspires me to, I want to do something. I want to make something. I want to, you know, like, I wish I could do that, you know? And, and I'm a JavaScript programmer i mean that's i do web development kind of that kind of stuff i make web apps for my own personal uses but nothing that i've ever really tried to sell even though i have a developer account i pay for it every year but i've never really tried to get anything into the app store and i'm kind of like well you know maybe i should just try to learn swift a little bit just to you know see a little bit about what programming for ios has to offer because honestly i have a few ideas for just simple apps that even if i couldn't sell them or get them into the app store i would love to have something that is tailored to my specific needs one of which is just this sounds so simple but like a random number generator like i've never been able to find just quite the right thing for my needs in my classroom like a lot of the random number generators just they just generate random numbers but what i really want is like there's a couple specific features being able to have like presets so like, you know, not having to go in and enter the number every time, but if I could have presets for, you know, the number of, of students, because I always use that, um, each student in Japan has like a, called a shisiki bango, like a student number. So it's like one to 38 or whatever. But depending on the class, it's different. You know, some classes have 40 students, some classes have 26 students. So it'd be nice if I could have like shortcuts on the right side to just be able to quickly tap on a number and it would set that up and then it would reset everything and it would be ready to go and it would automatically have no duplicates. It would just run through and, you know, I would tap next number, tap next number. Um, I would love to code something like that, even if it was just for my own personal use, but I don't really know Swift. I know JavaScript. And so it's been tricky. So I'm slowly going through a tutorial series on how to learn Swift. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things that are similar about JavaScript. Not putting uh, semicolons at the end of all your statements is driving me insane. But, uh, you know, I digress. After about 30 minutes of using my MacBook Air for this purpose, I wanted to scream. uh, Because the screen is just so low resolution and it was driving me insane. And... Recently, it was my birthday, and so, you know, my parents were, were very nice and gave me a little, little monetary present, shall we say, and combined that with the, the 
you know, 50000 that I made from selling my iPad Pro and the money I make from selling my MacBook Air, which is about 40000 And I managed to find a really great MacBook Pro 2017 for, you know, around two to 300 Hunyakers less than the retail price. Now, this is used, but it's a, it's a Apple refurbished model that someone, I guess, they had a MacBook Pro 2017. It's a non-touch bar model, by the way, because I don't need a touch bar. I just need like a basic MacBook Pro, right? Um, but they have, they had that, they got it repaired. And then I guess they just sold it to Jampara immediately. Um, and again, it was one of those things where like, I wasn't going to buy it, but then I walked in and it's like, well, it's, you know, I, I don't know, doing the math in my head. It's like, okay, this is like 300 Hunyakers less than buying one brand new. It's the latest generation model. Cause like this happened like right after WWDC, I figured if they're going to update them, they'll update them now. Otherwise it'll be fall before we get them possibly next year. Who knows? But regardless, it's like, okay, well, since they're not updating it, I should just go ahead and do this because I've got the money, you know, it's my birthday. I can buy if I want to. No, I don't know. I've, I've been really happy with it. Um, like once I saw that retina screen, it's just like, Oh, I've been living on a MacBook air for so long. I mean, just eye strain alone. I figure, right? Like, you know, um, saving my eyes uh is worth is worth the cost and and but all told even you know when you put together the money i made back from buying from selling the ipad and going to the smaller version combine that with selling the macbook air that i'm using now and the birthday money i still actually came out ahead so you know well all told it works out i do this occasionally i i one of the accidental tech podcast guys does this a lot he'll like you know it seems like every month or two he'll just like switch device like actually i want to use this now i want to use this now and uh, i don't know i guess that's kind of me but um but i i try to find the solution that works for me and right now this seems to be the good solution so i've got an iphone 10 an ipad pro 10.5 inch and a macbook pro 2017 without the touch bar um which works great and by the way i gotta say one of the reasons honestly that i I went back to a MacBook Air was simply because I wanted a lightweight computer and the MacBook Pro is basically the same size and weight as the MacBook Air. It's actually a little smaller. Um, but I wanted something that was stable, especially when it came to USB and when it came to HDMI because I would have so many problems with the 2016 MacBook Pro. I had a 2016 non-touch bar model and I tell you, I tried five, six different HDMI adapters, including Apple's official HDMI adapter, and none of them would work properly with some of the equipment, especially at work. It would just refuse to connect. And this drove me crazy. You know, it's like, if you're going to remove all of our ports, then USB-C has got to be on point. It's got to be there and working, you know, almost 100% of the time. You know, and Thunderbolt 3, it's great to have that, but it's also like having all of these options, but very few of them are working was driving me crazy. Well, I have a Nintendo Switch as well, and I bought like a cheap dongle um, a while back. I mean, we're talking maybe 15 Hunyakers for this thing, and it's it's got power. It looks like a clone of Apple's official um, HDMI adapter. It's got power from USB-C, it's got HDMI, and a USB-A port. And I thought, well, it works for the Switch, there's no way to work with my MacBook Pro, right? And I'm thinking, well, even if it does, I'll probably have to plug it into power or whatever. And I plugged it in, and I plugged it into my HDMI monitor, and it worked. And it worked perfectly, and it worked the first time. So I'm guessing that they changed some stuff between the 2016 models and the 2017 models. And I'm guessing that probably they made some improvements. Um, not to the keyboard. I know some people have been frustrated with that. And that's one of the things I was worried about with the keyboard. But ultimately, I decided, you know what? I don't see them backpedaling anytime soon. And uh, honestly, at the price it was, it was too good to pass up. Um, 
you know, I mean, it really effectively, all told, it probably cost me 200 Hunyakers of my birthday money, and I'm really happy with that. So I can't complain. Um, and it's nice to be on a current generation MacBook Pro again. And so I'm exploring Xcode and getting motivated to try and maybe at least code a, a few apps for myself. I mean, that's why I'm a dev, um, or at least a re- that's why I'm a registered developer, is that I do occasionally make apps in JavaScript at least, and I there are ways that you can get them on, into an iOS app without actually knowing Swift or Objective-C. And so I'll make my own apps and use them for my own purposes in class. So having the ability to code sign your apps and, and install them onto your, your iOS devices um, without having to worry about reinstalling it every seven days, because you can do it without a, a developer account. But if you have a free developer account instead of a paid one, you have to renew the install every seven days and it just is annoying. So I'm like, okay, I get betas, I get access to resources, you know, and I, I get to have code signing access. It's worth 120 Hunyakers a year for me. So I do it. Uh, I'm clearly not addicted to my devices. <laughs> no, but I'm, uh, I'm going to play around with Swift a little more and uh, see how things go. That almost wraps it up for this podcast. I, I want to say a couple things. One, uh, thanks for listening. And um, I, I know it's a little bit different style of a show than I normally do. Um, I will definitely do news from time to time. Um, if I see something interesting, definitely we'll have some train talk time back again. But I just kind of wanted to ease back into this a little bit. So that's where I'm at. Um, also, I'm going to shorten the closing little bit of this podcast here and stick around after the credits bit because there may be something new a new feature that uh, i'm blatantly stealing from a few other podcasts and you can listen to it or not but anyway platypuspodcast.com is where you will find links to the show notes and everything you can find me on twitter at kaylee dayo or in japanese purple fuku p-u-r-p-l-e-f-u-k-u that's my social media on everything else youtube instagram all that stuff and if you have anything you want to chat about i'd love to hear from you tweet it at me with zettai geek dayo as your hashtag so i can find it until next time, Isa, Katie, Nishita, bye bye. Seeno, Shudio. Zitai Geek Dayo is a Platypus Podcast production, and now it's the after show. It's the after show where we talk about things don't have anywhere to go. Boom. So, uh, I'm starting a little teeny tiny after show segment where I, I want to talk about something that maybe doesn't relate to tech. Or maybe it's just something interesting about life or Japan or whatever. Uh, actually, this week it has a little bit to do with Apple, so maybe you want to say, you know, but um, but you know, you can skip it if you want to. Um, but so this week it is it is Pride Month in uh, actually it's Pride Month everywhere but Japan. Uh, Pride Month was last month in Japan. Uh, we had Tokyo Rainbow Pride, which I went to, uh, Nagoya Pride, which I did not. Uh, Osaka does theirs in October, and I don't know why, but uh, it's always October, so. Uh, but I got the new Pride Apple Watch band, and it is beautiful. It's it's got six colors, uh, not those six colors, different six colors. Uh, but it's it's white and it's rainbow, and it has this gorgeous Apple Watch face um, that kind of wiggles in when you raise your wrist, and it matches the colors of the band, and it looks like it's like one like continuous band almost around your wrist. It looks really cool. Um, and it's, it's been nice, uh, to see Apple, you know, supporting it. Um, I've been frustrated with, you know, it seems like this year there's been a lot of support from a lot of different companies about pride. Um, and it, it just kind of feels like, of course the meme that's been going around is, uh, well, you know, now that we're marketable consumers, uh, now they care about us. Um, I don't know. There's a few events, uh, this month in Japan in terms of like LGBT community. So that's exciting. Um, and so 
we're looking forward to that. You know, but the one thing in terms of like diversity and, and all sorts, I was really, really happy to see a lot more diversity at the WWDC keynote. Um, I was thrilled that uh, we saw more women on stage than we've ever seen at a keynote before. And Apple did it in a way they, they very clearly were sending a message, but at the same time, they didn't really mention it or it was just like, it's a, here it is, you know, like, oh, look, there's women in tech, you know, honestly, we need it now more than ever. I think at this particular moment in time, um, there's just so much out there in terms of harassment in the geek community, in the tech community. Um, I look at what happened this week with Star Wars fans um, harassing just the sweetest, nicest girl, Kelly Marie Tran. You know, she um, she's one of the first lead actresses of color in the Star Wars franchise. And um, I just loved her character. I mean, I had, I had a lot of issues with, with the recent Star Wars film um, with The Last Jedi, but her character was just one of the highlights for me. It just frustrates me that fans of quote-unquote fans of, of a series like this would harass her to the point where she leaves Instagram. And honestly, that's kind of why I was like, I want to do a podcast this week because I feel like I'm holding myself back. You know, I, I, I want to do so much. I want to do YouTube. I want to do, you know, so many different things. Um, I have so many ideas. Uh, and maybe that's part of my problem is I, I can't ever focus on one thing. I like too many things, you know. Um, I do a little bit of development. I do a little bit of podcasting. I want to do video production. Like, um, you know, there's so many things I would love to be doing with my life. And I do kind of feel like, um, especially with birthdays coming around and with WWC, um, I, I don't know. I love my job, but I feel like I waste my life sometimes. Like, I... I get to be a game show host in class a lot of times, um, formally and informally, like we play, you know, millionaire or jeopardy or things like that. Um, I'm trying to do double dare later this summer. It's going to be fun. Informally, I get to play a lot of games. I get to a lot of freedom, like creative freedom to be able to do the kinds of lessons that I want, things that I, I think will be fun. The teachers just kind of trust me. And so it's really hard to walk away from that because I have a low stress job that pays well enough and, and I enjoy it. And, but I also get frustrated because I feel like I want to be doing more with my life. And I'm afraid to because of my identity, because of who I am. And there, I see harassment like this against women like this. And it scares me. It really scares me. I, you know, Gamergate was a prime example. Um, but I see people, I see women being harassed. And I just know that I'm kind of a, an easy target. Um, and, and it, it frightens me. The flip side, though, it, you know, is one of the reasons that I got frustrated with this podcast in some ways is that I don't know necessarily that the content I like to produce, the things that I'm interested in, the things that I have to say are important or if they're they, they may be important, you may be saying, but um, are they popular enough? They I, I don't necessarily know if they have widespread or mainstream appeal enough to warrant or to be able to gather a huge audience and i don't mean a huge audience i don't want millions but you know more than 30 would be nice and that was kind of where the numbers ended up with the podcast was like i'm, I'm getting 30 listeners and of that maybe 15 are actually listening to it and i got i got heard a lot of people um personal friends here in osaka and people who you know i talk with saying they couldn't keep up and I couldn't keep up. So that's kind of why I'm thinking maybe just a couple times a month is better because I can do higher quality content, uh, maybe, you know, shorter or longer episodes, depending on what I have to say, but also being able to really focus and, you know, produce content that maybe people want to do. 
it's frustrating to feel like the things that I'm interested in, no one else is. And that's kind of, I don't know, that's kind of how it is. Like, um, I mean, I have my idol groups that I enjoy. I have J-pop music that I love. I have, you know, I'm into, you know, game shows, I think is a big one that like, it's so important to me. And like, it's hard to find anyone who cares as much as I do. I don't know. It's it's weird. I, I, the only way I can describe it is like, imagine, take whatever your thing is. I, you've all got your thing, right? You know what you love. You love this one thing. And throughout your entire life, you've met maybe three, four people who love it the same way that you do. And that's really tricky. And especially when like you love something and the people in that community who love that thing maybe won't accept you or maybe you're just kind of different. So it's hard to get into that community. Like I know the game show community tends to be like all men and it's, it's frustrating because uh, a lot of them don't have a lot of the best social skills. So, you know, and I get frustrated with just being here in Japan. And, you know, I said this on the first podcast, you know, there's just a lack of women in tech and, and being geeks and just um, feeling like, you know, your role in life is to reproduce and get married and, you know, like, preferably not in that order. When the world around you doesn't quite fit with who you are and you can't really find people who are like you. Like, I have a friend who works at a, a major, like, major, major um, electronics company in Japan, one of the big, big ones. And she's an engineer, I think, and she is, like, one of three women that, in like, a hundred men you know, it's like her and two other women. And it's just like, I know that, I mean, I have a really good friend in Tokyo who started her own company because she got sick of being at conferences and people telling, asking her, you know, like when, so who's, whose project is this? Like who made this? It's like, oh, it's mine. Like, oh. um, so she just was like, I'm gonna make my own company. So, um, so the, it's not that they don't exist here, but I think the culture in Japan maybe doesn't encourage women to pursue technology and that kind of thing. And, and I, I do feel like that's one area that I love Apple for is being able to um, is seeing Apple actively promoting women in tech and actively promoting, you know, everyone can code. Um, should everyone code? I don't know. But, you know, I think everyone should try to code. I mean, maybe that's why you do a lot of the things that you do in high school is because you try a bunch of different things and see what sticks. And maybe, you know, only 10 to 20% of those people will go on to actually need programming. But maybe you do it for a semester and it, you know, maybe it hits, maybe it doesn't, but it's an experience, you know? So, I don't know, it's, it continues to be frustrating for me to live in Japan, but it's hard to walk away from a stable job that I enjoy. So, um, I don't know, I just need to get a little bit more confidence and maybe just try. Um, actually, it's funny because one of my first thoughts with doing uh, Mimoji was, oh, I could like do YouTube with this, but like even just not having to, to be me, but like doing YouTube videos, um, even if it was like in the corner, like I, I did, a, I did a, Jonathan Mann is a, a guy who's wrote a song a day for years and years and years. And I really enjoy his stuff, but he, he did like a, a song about tongue detection, tongue, tongue detection, right? And so I, did like a 10 second clip of it with me in the corner as my Mimoji kind of sing along with it. And I thought, Oh, this would be cool. Like being able to do a video, like a screencast or something like that, or like talking about opinions or, or tech stuff, but it's not, it's me, but it's not me, you know, like it could be me as my Mimoji, you know, in there. Um, I don't know. It, it seems like a, an idea that might work. Um, anyway, 
this has been the after show where we talk about things that don't have anywhere to go. And uh, I'll see you next time. Bye bye.